Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. I recently got interviewed on an excellent podcast called Winging It Travel Podcast with James Hammond, and I had a great experience on the show and really, really enjoyed the conversation, and we got into a lot of things that we don't normally talk about on this program or questions that have not been asked to me before. So I thought, you know what? Let's take this one and let's republish it out on my side, and he's going to be publishing it on his side, and I encourage you to check out his podcast. It was really, really great job. So before we get into the interview, I just want to say that we're doing a lot at expatmoney.com. We're putting out new blog articles every day, and with that, our email newsletter is growing like crazy. So we've just crossed over 40,000 people on our email newsletter, and it's just going bigger and bigger and bigger every day. So if you guys are not subscribed to the email newsletter, then I highly encourage you to go and do that now. And it's very, very simple to do. All you need to do is go to expatmoney.com and at the very top of the page, you will see a special report there that I'm giving away on immigration. It's basically how to get a second passport, how to do immigration, how to get a second residency. You'll see it at the very top. It's a fantastic ebook that my team and I put together. So I want you to go and pick that up. That's at expatmoney.com and the newsletter is free. There is no cost. There's no cost to any of that, but I really want to get this important information in your hand right now. So that's it. Go and check us out at expatmoney.com and let's jump in to today's interview where I am being interviewed on Winging It Travel Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Mikhail Thorup, who is the founder and CEO of Expat Money. He is also a podcast host, an author, an avid traveler who's traveled to over 100 countries to date and one of the world's most sought after expat consultants. Today, we're going to talk about all those things and, of course, get to know Mikael. Mikael, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very well, James. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to today's conversation. I am as well. I'm looking forward to learning more about yourself and your travels. It's always a great thing to have on my podcast when people come on and talk about their countries, over 100 you travel to. So getting those stories out there is pretty cool for the audience. Please tell listeners where you're currently based. Yeah, so based out of Panama City, Panama, we've been here about four years, almost four years here, and it's nice. It's a beautiful place, as we were just chit-chatting before the recording. Nice weather, tax-free, safe, organic food. It's fantastic. I like it here a lot. Yep, it's on my list. One question about Panama before we get stuck into your backstory and your travels. The Darmian Gap. Now, 
I don't know if many people know much about that, apart from that you can't really go there. Is that still the case? It's still just as dangerous? So I first went to the Darien Gap back in like 2003 or 2004, and I've been back, well, I've been to the Darien province once since then. But basically, yeah, it's a gap between North America and South America. It's a gap in the Pan American Highway. And it's just really swampland and not developed whatsoever. But they never actually developed it because they didn't want that road to continue on. They wanted the break in there so that there couldn't be migration through that route or a lot of problems that they had in the 80s with traveling narco-traficantes, bringing cocaine and things like that from some of the South American countries into the North American and then a straight shoot up to the US and Canada. But I've traveled pretty extensively in that region and it is very beautiful and there's some amazing people out there. And yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I always thought it's like off limits, but maybe it's possible. No, it's not that it's off limits. It's just that it's really difficult traveling through there. Now, obviously crossing a border without going through immigration, that would be off limits, but actually visiting the Darien province is not off limits at all. Okay. That's good to know. Something new with that already. That's great. Okay. We're going to hear about your backstory. So I'm keen to know because you're traveling extensively around the world consistently, where did you grow up and where did the interest in travel come from? Sure. So born and raised Southwestern Ontario. I'm Canadian. When I was a child, James, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And what happened was teacher pulled me out of class one day and sat me down in a little room and there was the principal and the vice principal and maybe a resource teacher there. And they said, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus, took a little white bus across town, and I went to this quote-unquote special school. Only problem, James, was it actually was not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in tons of fights. I got picked on and I got bullied. Now, there's no woe is me, poor Mikkel victim type of story. Certainly not. I mean, I got hit and I hit back. <laughs> if possible, twice as hard. And I would never claim otherwise, you know, absolutely. But it did leave a bad taste in my mouth for school, for, for public education. But eventually, after three years, I got to go back to my neighborhood school. And I thought, this is going to be amazing. And all my friends will have missed me. And everyone's going to be so excited to see me. And, you know, you know, first day or first week back at school, uh, my neighborhood school, and everybody starts gossiping and whispering. And oh, I remember Mikkel, he went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Very sensitive. You know how children are. Yeah, ruthless. But yeah, I just, I had a really tough time and I didn't like it very much. So I stopped going. And then when I stopped going, I started failing. And then they put me in summer school and then I would fail that. And long story short, I stopped going to school when I was 12 years old. And I officially dropped out when I was 15. And I started traveling internationally at around 16, 17, about 17 years old. And James, when I went overseas for the first time, I felt like I had met my people. Like these were my peeps. And I was meeting all these incredible people who were living their lives so different than anything I had ever seen in Southwestern Ontario. And nobody knew my background, you know, side note, my learning disability is dyslexia. It's really not a big deal, but 1980s, somehow it was enough to pull you out of the neighborhood school and everything you've ever known and all your friends and everything like that. But I realized on my first, second trip that this is where I belong. This is what I belong doing. And I was going to dedicate my life to it. And that's what I've done for the last 23 years. I have been traveling nonstop. And I don't mean just going to resorts or going on trips 
here and there. I mean, I've lived in nine different countries. I think I'm up to 110 countries that I've visited and I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. So I live this from the hobby side. I live it from the personal side we can get into today. And I, I live it from the business side. It's what I do for a living. My company, Expat Money, I help private clients relocate overseas. We're dealing with their tax and their immigration and the legal aspect of all of this. I got a big staff. I got 18 people who work for me, including full-time lawyers. And we're having fantastic results with people, but I still love it. I'm still, if nothing else from today's conversation, I hope you understand I am still super passionate about the topic. I still love travel. We're still on visiting new countries almost every month or every couple of months, like we're in a new place. And yeah, so I guess that's a bit about me and, and many things we cover and we can go in whatever direction you, you like. That's a brilliant backstory. A lot to touch on there. First of all, we love travel. I'm the same as you. I think listeners love travel. So that's a quite an, I guess, an inspiring backstory for anyone who's listening who maybe thinks about it, but can't quite make the jump or was thinking about how to do it. So you just went and done it from a very early age, which is great. Unfortunately, I didn't have that passion for travel at that age. It took me a bit of a while to get going. The school system, I mean, that's another conversation to have <laughs> another time, but a lot to be desired for. From the UK, for example, it's a Victorian system, never been updated. And when the problem I had, probably not as maybe as extreme as yours, but I was just never interested in school. Like people, my teachers say, well, you're not revising, you're not doing like extra stuff because like, I'm not interested in it. I was playing my guitar every day. That was my focus was music. So unfortunately, the system doesn't allow for people like yourself or me who like different stuff other than maths, English and science. Doesn't cater to that. It's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get interviewed regularly on homeschooling and world schooling type of podcasts. And I am 50% owner in an online high school with a business partner of mine. Actually, it's an online novice program, middle school and high school. And I'm very much against public education and the way that it's run. I think that kids learn in very different ways. And you know, trying to make everybody fit into one type of box is a horrible, horrible decision. I have two gorgeous children who I love and adore, we homeschool them. Like I would never want to send them to public education. Yeah. The problem with public education from my point of view is you've got someone who's extremely talented, but they've got doing English, maths and science and not utilize that talent. Then they're never going to be pushed to maybe their potential. And someone who struggles and needs extra help, they're just kind of ignored as well. So it's, like, it's this middle ground that we all do. This is like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. And then one last thought on teachers as, as well. <laughs> I, I don't like teachers that much because... When I was younger, I was like, oh, they know everything because they're teachers, right? They teach you in school. But when you get older, my question is, well, if you're teaching English, why are you not like a successful author or, I don't know, doing something extra in the actual industry of English? Why are you teaching school kids? Yeah, well, and I mean, this is how I look at entrepreneurship. I'm not going to learn business from somebody who has never built a business, run a yeah, business, scaled yeah. a business, sold a business. You know, I learn entrepreneurship from successful entrepreneurs. I don't care where they went to university. I don't care what their grades were when they were in high school. I want to learn from real people who have done real things. So you're right. This could be an entire conversation, but <laughs> yeah. I want to talk travel with you. So yeah, let's yeah, yeah. Let's do travel. <laughs> let's start with where was the first few countries internationally that you traveled to? And what can you describe about those first experiences that made you want to actually go and experience more of that? Yeah. So I was really big into martial arts when I was a child. I did karate and Kempo and Arnis and stuff like that from the ages of six to 17. And when I was 16, I got accepted to Team Canada for martial arts and we got to compete internationally. So I went to, the competition was in Ireland. I 
actually placed silver medal. I was I was very happy with that. And I went with my father to Ireland, England, and Wales. And that was about three, four weeks, something like that. And it was interesting for me because my father had always told me growing up that travel was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. But what I didn't understand, James, was like, all right, if this was the best thing my dad ever did, like, why didn't he dedicate more time yes. to it? You know, like, <laughs> why did he do like one trip and then stop? But I realized like when I started traveling, like he's he was right. Like he was 100% right. Like traveling is the greatest thing you'll ever do with your life. And I guess the big difference is I didn't stop. You know, I didn't do that and then go home and get the white picket fence and the life that everybody else did. Like I immediately went on and saved money and did the next trip and then the next trip and the next trip. And like I said, I mean, it's never worn off. Like it's never the novelty of it, the experience, the, I'm just constantly learning. It just never wore off. It just keeps going. But yeah, that first trip, just in really simple places like Ireland, England, Wales, now it's like such easy travel compared to some of the other stuff I've done, but it's still at the same time, it was such a special trip for mm. me and a special yeah. experience. Yeah, that is, I'm glad you said that because that is one of the things I hear or you must hear it all the time as well. If you talk about travel, people are saying, oh, I love travel. And I say this to my girlfriend a lot. <laughs> I go a bit on a tangent. I say, but do they love travel though? Because if they were loving travel, like you said, you'd be doing it all the time. Like people need to accept if they've got a house, for example, and they're a teacher, say you love teaching. Don't say you love traveling because you're not traveling, you're teaching. Same if you're an accountant. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer like you, that if you love something that much, wouldn't you just make sure that your life is based around it, surely? Exactly. That's why, you know, I've met a lot of travelers in my life and I've met a lot of other podcasters and bloggers and people like that. And it's like a lot of people really do it a little bit and then a lot of armchair. Like they just, you know, like I'm not an armchair traveler. Like <laughs> I am constantly going. I am constantly pushing the boundaries. I am constantly on the road exploring things everything in my life is set up internationally. And I, I'm fully on board with you. If, if people are really passionate about it, then why are you not doing it more? And if you're making excuses, then why are you making excuses? Because if it really means so much to you, and don't give me the excuse about, oh, well, I've got kids. I got two kids. My daughter yeah. speaks four languages. She's six years old. She's been to 15 countries. Okay. <laughs> so like, you know, and I homeschool my kids. So you know, don't say, oh, well, once you got married, I'm Canadian from Danish heritage. My wife is from mainland China. I met her in Germany. We got married in Africa. Our daughter was born in the UAE. Our son was born in Brazil. And now we have a home in Panama and in a couple of other countries as well. So it's like there's, you know, people put up barriers about what they can't do, but it's like you're not looking at it closely. I mean, there's always going to be sacrifices. There's going to be differences. But if you work through it, then you can really have it for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And as we speak right now, I've just quit my job. So congratulations. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I'm off uh, I'm off traveling yeah, in a few that's weeks. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So amazing. I'm happy for you. Yeah, it's it's been I've been a bit of an armchair traveler the last four years. I think a few reasons, but yeah, they, they, they can be excuses. So now's the time. Did I just cut you deep with that comment? No, because <laughs> there's you're right, there's excuses. And I, I think what's different this time for me is that previously, right? For, I'll give you my mindset was I'll do a work visa in Australia. I'll work for a year, decent money there, so you can save a bit and then go traveling. Sure. I did it too. Yep. Yeah. And then I'll go back to somewhere else, get a shit job, do that, same again. But this time's different because I want to prolong it. So the mindset has kind of changed. I'm now like, okay, I'm going traveling. I've got a podcast. I've got a few things that I want to do. How can I extend this lifestyle? So that's the change of mindset. Maybe that comes of age. I'm not sure, but that's the difference this time. Oh, that's amazing. You should be 
very proud of yourself because trying to figure out the formula to stay on the road and continue to explore, it's not easy. But I mean, you've clearly done the work and you've clearly put in the time and the effort to figure these things out and think it through. So that's amazing, man. Yeah, cheers. I appreciate that. And also a lot of people are quite shocked because they, I think you mentioned before early in the podcast that they are in that normal social life of job, house, probably don't like a job, got a kid. So they, they're kind of in that mindset where, are oh, you going for what, a year or more? It's like, well, I don't think there's a time frame on it. I, I give them a time frame because they can't comprehend no time frame. Of course. But yeah, it's, it's a different mentality. Well, when I was a teenager, I would tell people that I wanted to go to every country in the world and people would absolutely laugh at me. They thought it was the most ridiculous thing that they've ever heard in their life. And it's like, well, I'm still at it 20 years later. It's still my goal. I'm still working towards it. I don't think people are laughing now. So no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Just got to stay true to your goal. And you know, if I want to become like a musician again, that's fine. Like you got to accept that you want to do that. Right. But what really gets my annoyance up is people say, oh, I'd love to do that. No, I, I don't want to hear it because <laughs> yeah, exactly, you can do yeah. it if you want to. Oh, oh, do you want to rant? The ones who say to you, oh, you're so lucky to do that. You're so lucky to travel around the world. I'm like, luck? I dropped out of school when I was a kid. I got a learning disability. My parents didn't pay for me to do all of this stuff. I got some crummy jobs when I was a teenager and I worked my ass off, backbreaking labor. Like when I first started earning money, I was picking weeds out of bean fields all summer long to save up money to do trips. So I mean, luck did not play anything into it. It was me. I created this. I built this type of lifestyle. Like trying to pass it off on some external source that did it for you, uh, I think is so unfair and not giving credit where credit is due. Absolutely. Yeah. And I had one, I've done, same as you, I've done so many crappy jobs in the past. But one of those crappy jobs, one of the managers said to me, I've always remembered it. So he's the classic, you know, he's the manager, he's middle management, classic house family. But he said to me, I love that you would do anything, any job, even crap money to try and get lifestyle going again. He goes, I appreciate that. And I, I respect that. Even though the job I was doing was absolutely crap. But he, I, I guess, appreciated the, the hard like work ethic to get going again. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty honest with him. Like, I was like, mate, I'm not going to stay here. I'm just doing it until I get enough money and I'm off. He's like, yeah, that's fine by me. So there you go. I want to talk some countries because obviously traveling is great and you've been to so many. Where can I ask you in terms of Maybe one country that really gave you a bit of a culture shock on your travels that you can remember. Okay. I remember, so my first trip I already told you about, I, I was in Ireland and Wales. The next trip was like a year or two after that. And I was in all of Western Europe and I ran out of money about halfway through. I wanted to be gone for about four or five months and I ran out of money. Clearly didn't budget properly or misunderstood how much money was going to be needed. This was way back. This was like my second trip. So this would have been 2002 or 2003. Okay, the internet existed, but it did not exist like it does today. Smartphones were not there. There were not excellent programs like yours and blogs and websites talking about these things. So I didn't really know. But I was in Spain and I was like, all right, I need somewhere cheaper to go. And I decided to go to Morocco. So I got on a ferry and I went to Tangiers and I spent the next two months going around Morocco at like 19 years old or something like that. And that was a massive culture shock because first of all, like, I'd never been to a Muslim country before. I really didn't know anything about Islam whatsoever. You know, in Morocco is this very interesting place with the French influence and then there's Portuguese walled cities and there's these old medinas and things like that. And I remember I even took a camel and I went across the Sahara 
to Algeria. It took me three days on a camel to go to Algeria and then turn around and come back. And we were like camping out in the desert and stuff. And I was just fearless. Like I just, I just didn't care. I don't know if I would still do that stuff now, you know, married and kids and things. I probably would. I might just think things through a little bit more and plan it out. But everything just kind of worked out. But definitely, you know, that first time going to a Muslim country was massive, massive culture shock for me. And for my younger listeners, I mean, they're going to imagine a time when I do remember it well. I wasn't that old. 2002, I was like 13, I think. So a tiny bit younger, but that is a time when internet wasn't readily available. I guess even things like getting on a camel, you got to maybe speak to someone about that. Probably someone maybe don't speak English. Like you're going to have to navigate the world much differently to today. So that, that experience must be, I find it nostalgia because it's like real travel because you've got to go and speak to people. You can't go on your phone and go, oh, let's do that. Yeah. Or, or I mean, Google Maps or Apple Maps and things like that. No way. Didn't exist. Uber, yeah. Airbnb. Like now it's just like you just show up, you just pull out your phone and just grab an Uber wherever you want to go. I mean, I was doing like public transport and like chicken bus and stuff like that. And I think that people are so spoiled right now with travel. Like I'm not complaining. I love it. I, I mean, it makes my life so much easier, but man, it was a lot harder 20 years ago doing all this stuff or even communicating with friends and family. Like I would send postcards. Like, do you remember those? Yeah. Postcards. yeah. Back, <laughs> back to people to stay in touch. It was very, very different. But you were really on your own. Like back in the day, like I'd show up in a place and I wouldn't know anybody. I would have no idea where to go or what to do or anything like that. Yeah. It was just like, go to the the pensions or the the youth hostels or something back in the day. There, and there was like message boards that we would use. And you would just, you'd go and stay in a dorm room and then you'd ask people and people like, yeah, go here, go there. go there. Like, I just like, just make it up as you go along. But it was awesome. I absolutely loved it. Did you document it? I used to keep like a diary and stuff like that, which I'm sure is at my father's house somewhere. But I think I just got tired because it was just so much travel that I just stopped. I stopped taking pictures. I stopped document and stop writing about it. I mean, now I write about all these things because I, I do it for a living. But you know, that's in the green grand scheme of things is a, is a new type of thing. I mean, I've been running this as a business for the last seven years, but the first, I probably did it for, I probably like documented for the first couple of years. And there's like the dark ages where I probably didn't do for 10 or 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. And now I'm doing it again for the last seven years. Okay. That's interesting. Because I always wonder back in those days, like if you met someone, for example, I mean, you have to probably grab their, would that be email address at that point? Or would it be at least a phone number, right? Or even an actual physical address? I don't know. Yeah, I think it would be physical address. But I think it was like, I remember when Facebook first came out, like, I don't remember how it was 15 years ago or something like yeah, that. And then all of a sudden, someone would find my name and yeah. then other people we had met in that trip. And then it was like, oh, Ben, I haven't talked to Ben in like 10 years or something like that. And then he's like, oh, do you remember this guy? Yeah. And then he, and then it kind of proliferated and everybody got connected after that. But at that time, I don't think we had, I'm trying to think back. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, I just, I'm not even sure. Yeah. Okay. And uh, next question for me is you lived in say nine countries. Yeah. Can you list them? Yeah, sure. All over Canada. I lived in the Arctic in Canada. I lived in Banff and Lake Louise, like you're in Vancouver right now, so not too far from there. Uh, Halifax, stuff, stuff like that. In the States, I was in Guatemala for six months. I lived in New Zealand for one year, working holiday, same as you did. 
It was three years in Australia, a year in Singapore. Actually, then is when I did my 366 days in the Arctic. Where else was I? I was eight years in the Middle East in Abu Dhabi. We've been living in Panama for four years. And then we lived in Brazil as well for half a year. And is there one of those countries that really felt like home for you, apart from Canada? Well, the UAE definitely felt like home. I felt very much at home there. I loved my life there. There were reasons we left in the end, but it was a great place, like a really, really great place. I don't know, actually, I felt at home in most of the places. Like when I lived in Australia, I lived in Melbourne for three years. I thought I was going to go for a citizenship. I thought I would be an Australian, but something happened and I ended up moving to Singapore, got an opportunity and moved over there. We loved our time in Brazil as well. We uh, I bought a home in Brazil, so we spend more time there. I have a Brazilian son now. Okay. So... Yeah, I think most places actually. I'm pretty easygoing when it comes to finding a home and and feeling comfortable. I kind of like the uncomfortable feeling. Like I don't like to be. If everything was too easy, then I'd be like, "Oh, this is weird. I gotta get out of here." <laughs> so, like in Panama, I mean, I speak Spanish, but it's not perfect, and I still gotta get help, and I gotta still figure things out. It's all a bit frustrating, and it's like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> okay. Because I, I, I talk about home a lot on my podcast because it's an interesting subject for, I guess, lifestyle travelers, right? Like yourself. What does that mean to you, home, though? Like, is that maybe you and your family, that is home and that could be anywhere in the world? Or is it is yeah, there one absolutely. country, one place? How would you describe home for you? I think that, yes, family is super important. Wherever I am, if I'm with my wife and my kids, then I mean... I'm set. But even before I was married, I would always fit in very easy. Actually, so as we're recording this, Christmas was just less than a month ago. I have cooked Christmas dinner and had expats at my house for over 20 years. Didn't matter which country I was in. I mean, the country changed, the city changed, the people changed, but I have always had a home for people Christmas. So we always have, we've done turkey dinner every single year for 20 years because that was the custom when I grew up. We've had a tree every single year. We've done presents. We've done everything. So I've always wanted other people to feel at home and always wanted to develop that community and bring people in. And and it's been fun. It's been really fantastic. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I think there's an expat community in each, I say, major city in the world where to different levels, I think they feel part of the community or not in terms of like the local community like vancouver for example is notoriously known for being a lonely place i think people come here and find it hard to make friends i don't know if that's a canada thing but vancouver is definitely like that so i think you doing that really helps the expats feel a little bit at home and maybe a bit happy about the decision they've made right yeah absolutely well i mean it's also a it's morphed into a big part of my business, actually. Like I relocate people to probably about 20 different countries in the world. But when they go to a new country, I'm like, here, come talk to this person or go talk to that person. Or we have, you know, we're celebrating my 40th birthday in March. I'll have probably a hundred of my clients and subscribers fly in from every corner in the world. I've got confirmations (laughs) that people are flying in from Thailand, from the UK, from last year, we had people from Holland. We, you know, we'll get people fly in from all over the world and okay, it's my birthday, but it's actually not about me at all, James. It's about 
the community and about people spending time with each other and want to meet like-minded people and stuff like that. And we just use my birthday and, and other events throughout the year as an excuse to get people together. But I like bringing people together. You know, I get a big kick out of that and introducing them and making them feel at home. So, I mean, it, it has become a big part of my business is this networking and community building. Very key. I think that's, well, I'd say that's life, isn't it? Community in different countries. I think you'd learn a lot about different cultures, which kind of brings on to the next question. Like, I know it's a culture shock, but like, was there a country where you just loved the culture? Like something that you didn't know much about, maybe went there and it's like, right, this is awesome. I need to stay here longer or know more about it. All of them. All of them, <laughs> Yeah. I like the changes. I like the differences. I like to go to places where it's like, I just have no idea. I don't do much prep when I go to a new place. I just want to see what it's about. I like I like trying to understand people's perspective. Like, why do they do a certain thing? Why do they do it a certain way? Why do they eat this type of food? Why, you know, how does your grandmother cook? Like, why does this recipe get passed down? You know, why do they drink this type of alcohol or celebrate this holiday? Or why did the language shape these different things? I just think like all of that stuff is super fascinating. And I'm not like... I don't know. I just, I just like the differences. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. That's my favorite part. Okay. And what about maybe like a unique country you travel to where, where listeners are going, oh, wow, you went there. Is there one country like where people don't travel that often that you've noticed? Yeah. I mean, I've been to North Korea. Oh, wow. I've been to Zimbabwe. I've been to Iran. Iran was actually a spectacular country. It was super fascinating. The history there was amazing and just met the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. And it was so different because I lived in an Arabic country and that was kind of full on sometimes, you know, but actually went to Iran and the people were very soft spoken and very sweet and very down to earth. Like, I don't know if you've traveled through Egypt or anything like that. It can be very loud and, you know, there's just so much going on and you go to walk through the Medinas and stuff and there's people like hassling you and it's, oh my God, you can't, like, it's so full on. And then you go to Iran and I kind of, I wasn't sure what to expect, but actually like if a woman walks past, like the men, like, they step back and they shut up and there's not like cat calling or oh, really? you know, anything uh -huh. like yeah. that. Like it's very, very calm. And I met so many spectacular people when I was there and became like pen pals with a girl for probably like a year while I was there and just sending back, you know, letters every month. And I mean, I mean, it was just, it was a good experience, nothing romantic. Like it was just very normal, but Iran was a really cool place. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Some, my Iranian friend here said that, don't forget, we're not Arabs, we're Persian. There's a big difference. Very big um, difference. I think people might well, make And that also listen. Islam is, you know, it's an enforced religion. They were Zoroastrians before, so it comes from a different type of place. Like, you know, I was very familiar to the GCC countries like Oman and Kuwait and Qatar and UAE and these types of, you know, that's what I thought of as the Middle East. And Iran is just nothing like that whatsoever. It's so completely different. So if you go in there expecting that, then it's really going to surprise you a lot, I would say. Yeah, it's quite high on my list. Obviously, now, right now, they've got some issues, of course, with their government. But that is a place that I just think is a trip on its own. I probably wouldn't even do like it part of a trip. It would just be Iran. I want to go there and just and check it out on its own and just kind of soak up all the history and culture. Is it Persepolis where they say, is that where democracy started? Arguably? I'm not sure. Could be. Um, Could be. Which would shock a lot of people. North Korea, for example... That's a completely different vibe. Was that an organized tour, I'd imagine? 
Yeah. So it was an organized tour. However, we did have quite a bit of free time. You know, they always say oh, really? that, you know, they're going to be watching everything you do and everything you say. And I didn't find it to be like that. Or if they were, we didn't see them or hear them or anything like that. We did a lot of really normal stuff when we were there. We went bowling. We went and saw the circus. We were there for National Day. So we saw like the big mass dance. So everyone was outside. They had their best clothes on. They were dancing in the streets. There was people having picnic. And I remember our guide was like, okay, you've got two hours. You can go, you know, two blocks that way and a block that way and a block that way. Just kind of stay in this general vicinity and we'll see you back here in two hours. We're like, brilliant. So just running around talking to people. I don't speak Korean, but we actually had a Brazilian guy on the tour who had lived in Itaewon in South Korea for, I can't remember, eight years or 10 years or something and spoke fluent Korean. So he was like translating for us and we were just talking to these old women and just asking them about their lives and stuff. It was rad, man. It was really, really interesting. Now, do I agree with the government there? Hell no, I'm not saying that whatsoever. But I think it's always really important to make a distinction between the people and the government. I mean, those are totally different things. Because if we want to blame the government, then let's look at the U.S. and what the U.S. does in foreign policy and things like that. I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with dropping bombs on women and children. I think that's fucking horrendous. But I'm not going to blame Joe Blow on the street in the States for that. So it kind of irks me when people blame people in Iran for the government or in North Korea. Like, they didn't ask to be in this situation and have a kooky government. That's not what they're after. They just want normal life. They want to love their family. They want a full belly. They want a roof over their head. People are the same, mate. Like they're just, after doing this for so long, I can tell you that people by and large are absolutely the same. So I like to go to these places and see and experience it myself. And then I can make a judgment. Actually, number one and number two countries on my bucket list right now are Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. Like, yes. I think Saudi those yeah. would be like so interesting to go. I think that that would be really rad. There's a valuable point, which does put any country on the map to travel to. And I maintain that I would go to any country because I believe that the people there are not representatives of the government and people have to make that distinction. Yeah, absolutely. If you think that people are voting for that, then you, you're crazy. You need to go and speak to more people in local countries because that's not true. I think it's an ignorant behavior. I think that people who kind of think that there's only a couple of free countries out there in the world and the rest of the world is a jungle and people have no idea what they're doing. It's like, no, there's 193 countries recognized by the UN. I mean, the world's a big place. Yeah. There's a lot to see and do. And these countries and cultures have been around for some of them thousands of years. Like my wife is from mainland China. As a libertarian, I get so much flack for marrying someone from China. And they're like, how could you, don't you know about what the Chinese Communist Party does? I'm like, that has nothing to do with my wife. Like, I married her because I love her so much. And she's one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met in my life. Like, the fact that you think that there's something bad about me because I married someone who comes from a communist country, like, you guys need to look in the mirror and just like sort yourselves out a little bit because. It's just, it's not realistic on what happens in the world or how things fit together. Crazy thought. If you went to Turkmenistan, for example, and spoke to local people you know, on the side, you're crazy leader. Do you agree what he's doing? And like, they've got free reign to speak. They're going to go, no, we don't want them like targeting our people and persecuting us. Of course they're going to say that. No one's going to go that, well, I'd be very surprised if someone, yeah, yeah, I agree. Unless they've been forced to or they've been looked at. But like general people in the street, they don't want this stuff. I was watching, randomly, I was watching the Pele documentary on Netflix last night because obviously Pele just recently died, the footballer. And they're talking about Brazil in the 60s. Like, great time, early 60s. They won the World Cup twice. You know, 
free-flowing 60s, all that. And then obviously the dictatorship comes in and they're just saying, we didn't want that. We didn't know why he came in. But that was for 20 years. But you're not going to go to Brazil because people agreed with it. They didn't agree with it. They didn't want it. So crazy thoughts. Yeah. And you'd be missing out one of the greatest countries in the world. Like Brazil is <laughs> such a spectacular place. Like it's so interesting. I would have loved to see it during that time. I like seeing things in the thick of it and what's going on and then see the changes afterwards, before, during, and after. Like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Can I touch on Brazil very quickly? Because yeah, man. Um, it's a huge country. So where did you place yourself in that country? So I've been to Brazil six times now five times when we moved there. We were in Florianopolis, small island in Santa Catarina mm -hmm. in the south. Floripa, it's the most libertarian place in the whole country. Very freedom-orientated, very wealthy, like a lot of money there, very little crime. And these gorgeous beaches, like it's it's an island and the, the beaches are amazing. There's these small islands out there. And I swear the water just like glistens like it's just made of diamonds and then behind you is like mountains and hiking and stuff like that and it's just fantastic i don't know if you've been there james but it is fantastic place it's yeah, so to, worthwhile i went to brazil but only during the world cup so I, I saw brazil in a in a football mode which is amazing don't get me wrong but i need to go back which will be next year just to go and see it for itself you know in normal times well, highly, highly recommended checking out Floripa. It's really great. I mean, there's no monuments or uh, tourist sites or stuff like that. It's just normal life and just watching people interact. I know that it is an enclave of freedom and it is different in Brazil in that it's a very safe place. And I know that in some other areas in Brazil, there is a lot of crime uh, and violent crime as well. I mean, not just me saying it, it's my friends. Like I have a, a huge group of friends now who live there and they all came from other areas of Brazil and moved to Floripa. And they're like, now we feel like we can really relax, but they didn't feel like that in their own areas. But I still think it's worthwhile to visit other places, but it is one of the countries where you have to pay a little bit more attention to your surroundings. You know, just be very responsible for yourself. Yeah, we based ourselves in Rio, so I didn't get I didn't get a chance to go down south really um, that much. I went to Guazo Falls, Rio, and Belo, I think, and Sao Paulo. Yeah, um, Rio's good fun too. I mean, I've been there multiple times. That yeah, Rio, I love Rio. I always said I could live there for a year. That'd be awesome. Yeah, no, you should, man. It'd be quite the experience and uh, learn some Portuguese and uh, do charrasco and yeah, <laughs> it's good. Okay. So before we get to expat money, one final question on travel, which is quite a big question, but keen to get your thoughts is, what is your travel philosophy? Like, what is the purpose of travel, do you think? Well, I cannot speak for anybody else. So I would not say like a blanket statement, but for me, I guess what I am trying to do is understand the world. I, I want to understand what's going on. I want to understand how things fit together how things really are, not just what Hollywood or mainstream media or politicians tell me it is, or public education, like our conversation at the beginning here. I want to make my own decisions about things. And I, and I truly want to understand. I make a lot of mistakes. I don't always get it right. I am constantly pushing myself and things that I understand today. I thought five years ago, I had it figured out. And I look back today and I'm like, shit, I had no idea what I was talking about or what I was doing. <laughs> but it's about forgiving yourself and understanding that you're not always going to get it right. And I just keep going and I just keep trying to make sense of all of it. And that's it, man. Okay. That's awesome. And that kind of leads, I had a question in this section, but it kind of goes into the next section of your business. Cause I was going to ask 
So you realise early doors, you want to carry on travelling. Now you must have thought, okay, I need to come up with a plan here of how I can do this. Is that where expat money comes into it? And like, what was your thinking in the early days of, okay, I need something, maybe an online business or a business to keep me travelling? What were your thoughts back then? Well, you can you can basically break my travel career into kind of three pretty much equal size time blocks. So for probably the first seven, eight years, I was traveling and I was just doing random jobs, lots of hospitality, making money, save up money, continue travel, save up money, continue travel. Like when I was in in Western Canada, I worked in the ski resorts for 18 months and I saved all of that. And then I hitchhiked and backpacked through Latin America for 18 months where I didn't have to do any work. I didn't have to do anything for a year and a half. And I did that for during my 20s. And then I got into personal finance. So like investing, stocks, equities, things like that. And I found derivatives. And I thought this was a really interesting way to make money. And I started studying everything I could about finance and and how markets worked and everything like that. And then I did probably about seven or eight years of, about seven years of that, you know, and made a lot of money and lost a lot of money and continued to travel at the same time and explore the world. I never, never stopped that. But eventually I decided I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. And that's been the last, I guess that's probably been the last 10 years, but probably had a couple of years of screwing it up and having businesses that didn't work and yeah. you know, banging my head against the wall a hundred times. But eventually I sat down and I was like, all right, what do I want to do? Well, I love travel and living overseas. Like that is my biggest passion in the world. And my other big passion was finance and investing. So I just kind of mashed them together and I created expat money. And so that's what we do is we we talk about the financial and the asset protection and the legal side, like all of that stuff for those who live overseas or for those who want to live overseas. And this is what I've been doing full time since then. So I've been very fortunate to be able to take a couple of ideas and that I really like and that other people are interested in learning about. Because I was doing a lot of these tax strategies on my own. I was opening offshore bank accounts. I was having residencies. I figured all these things out on my own. And then it was like, all right, are other people interested in this? Do they want to know about it? Does, are they curious about these things? And it started from pretty humble beginnings. And now it's grown into multi-million dollar business. So I mean, I am very lucky in that regard. I'm very blessed on these types of things. And I've been able to bring my family along for the ride. And my wife is amazingly supportive and has always believed in me. And yeah, it's a good business. It's an honest and ethical business. I can look at myself in the mirror every day and be really excited about what I'm doing. I'm really helping people, which feels good. And I get a lot of you know nice comments and you know fan mail and, and <laughs> testimonials and things like that. And it's like, it's awesome. You know, I, yeah, I yes. really like this a lot. You mentioned luck there. I mean, is that a bit harsh on yourself? I mean, you worked hard at it, right? You had ideas, you failed, you started again. Like, but, but do you need a bit of luck though? Is that part of it for any business, do you think? I think that there is a certain amount of luck, but the proportion of luck to hard work is totally skewed differently than what people would expect. You know, I think that the majority of it is hard work and tenacity. I think that is number one. I think my comment was, I feel lucky. I feel lucky that I feel very blessed. I feel very fortunate opposed to I got lucky. Something was given to me. I created my own luck is the way that I would say it. You know, I've read well over 2000 books. 99% of them are business related, economics, geopolitics, finance, law. I mean, that wasn't luck. I mean, fucking dyslexic, you know, like I had to... to, (laughs) I had to work at that. Like that, yeah. 
that's hard, you know. That's that's a hundred books a year for over twenty years. Yeah, but I put that time and effort and energy into it because I wanted to build something substantial in my life. You know, I worked with a lot of mentors. I've I've created a lot of relationships. That was not because someone did it for me. That was because I went out there and and I made that happen. So yeah, I guess that's my answer. Okay, and expat money for someone listening right now. So what can you help people with? So you mentioned residency, tax, what other stuff have I missed there that you can maybe offer the listeners if they're interested? Yeah. So the company is called Expat Money. If you go to expatmoney.com, you'll see what we do. To be clear, I mean, I give away 99% of my work for free. My real business is working as a consultant. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I don't play one on television. As I said at the beginning of the show, I dropped out of school. Everything I do is is built on real life experience. But I work with high net worth individuals, usually the two to $10 million net worth range. And we're dealing with their tax obligations when they leave the country. We get them a new residency, residency or citizenship or passport in another country. Then we deal with the tax obligations of that country. We're restructuring their finances. So their business, their investments, crypto, stock portfolios, things like that. It might be in the country we're moving them to. It might be in a third or fourth or fifth different country. So we deal with those tax obligations, what that would look like. And then just kind of the overall lifestyle, like what is it they want from their life? You know, the climate for their kids, for sports and activities, for political, for organic food, for being in a food independent or water independent country. You know, I help tailor make all of these things because I've traveled extensively through them and I've, I've gone through the process. I can offer a lot of insights that people you know, they don't have time to make these types of mistakes. And when you're dealing with the tax obligations and things, these are not things you want to make mistakes with, you know, like, like really, really don't try to do this on your own. I have lawyers who, I have tax lawyers who sign off on all of my work. So I'm not giving legal advice. I'm giving insights and making recommendations. I'm connecting people. I have a tax lawyer who will do an opinion letter, who will do the the paperwork on all of these things. So we always stay legal. We always stay compliant. But I'm definitely focused on legally reducing the tax obligations. And uh, I'm a very big proponent for privacy and protection, You know, the estate planning aspect of all of it. And that's kind of my very small niche, James, that I work in. Yeah. That's, that's what I do. That's a... Never heard it before. Yes, yeah, it um, doesn't exist. I, no. mean, I, I literally made it up because I just thought this is really cool and it makes it's really fascinating to me. Like what I don't do is I'm not the one to turn on your electricity bill when you get to a new country. I'm not the one that loads up your belongings and puts it in a shipping container and ships it overseas. I deal with the legal and the tax and the immigration, you know, that esoteric piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Okay. And alongside this, you have a podcast as well. I have a podcast, The Expat Money Show. Lots of big guests, lots of small guests, lots of people from all over the place. It's It's been a lot of fun. What else do we do? Daily newsletter. I think I got 40 some odd thousand people on my yeah, newsletter. Yeah, I saw. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's good fun. We do an annual summit. We had over 7,000 people for our online summit in November last year. I do monthly webinars. We got blog articles that come out daily talking about different digital nomad visas, new passports, new uh, immigration procedures, trust foundations, asset protection stuff. All of that's at expatmoney.com. So a ton of things. I kind of ADHD and just like <laughs> a workaholic. And I just, I like this stuff a lot. So I put out lots of content. Yeah. So like the podcast and the newsletter and all the stuff that you mentioned there is the 99% other stuff that's for free. 
so people can, for free. can read yeah. listen get ideas and that, then exactly that's exactly. awesome the yeah. only thing that i really charge for is if you need a custom-made plan you need to get access to my lawyers and my network and you want to sit down with me and have my helping hand you know be your sherpa and walk you through the path mm-hmm. and that's enough i mean that's a seven-figure business we do off off the back of that so it's okay. good it's very rewarding i like it a lot that's awesome so you have expertmoney.com and social medias do you cross the whole spectrum you'll find me everywhere i don't put a lot of time and energy and effort i think our okay. i mean our facebook groups probably at about 8000 people you know we're on all the social media platforms but i prefer putting my time into the podcast and and the newsletter those are medias that i truly control instead of building up Mark Zuckerberg's bank account. You know, so. <laughs> Quickly on that, what's your thoughts on how important social media is to maybe your own business or podcasting, for example? Does it, does it actually, is it it's worth shit. it? No, it's shit. No. It's shit. Don't waste your time. If, you, if you're going to put time and energy and effort into something, do it in a platform that you truly control. Mm. So that's why I like podcasting and an email newsletter because the ability to censor something is very difficult. Not impossible, but very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And you can get your content in front of people who genuinely want to hear it and you're not relying on an algorithm. But it's also the the difficulty of trying to scale something like a podcast. Like, I've been podcasting for a long time. Like, I don't know anybody else in my niche or in the expat space who's been podcasting like this consistently every single Wednesday for so many years. Mm. And there's nothing to like push it out. Like if you start a YouTube channel, you're going to have YouTube that's going to have an algorithm that's going to push it out. But if you say something that they don't like, then they can just turn you off. They can just flip a switch. And it might not even be a human being. It can just be something that you say in there that you don't even realize and you get a couple of strikes against you and then they shut you off. And that's your business. I mean, that would make me really nervous. I mean, I got my wife. She's a stay-at-home mom. My mother lives with us as well. My mother's been traveling with us for six years. I got two kids. Like, I can't take risks like that. So, you know, a recommendation for entrepreneurship is to control your own media. And nothing is better than that. The email newsletter is the best and podcast is second best, I would say. Awesome. Okay. I find it amazing that big companies don't have a a podcast section because so i think it's going to be a an area of media where it's going to grow it's, it's quite new now i mean what three million podcasts in the world 10 percent are what you'd call active um, yep. I've, I've been releasing one every week for two years so you're doing it for six Good years is, is is fantastic that's consistency is underrated i think mm-hmm. so we are going to finish the episode with some quick fire travel questions these are going to be your just favorite things you've seen on the road a bit of fun i'm going to kick off I know you don't like to do favorites, but maybe three countries that you traveled to that you would tell people right now they just got to go and travel to. I went to Uruguay twice in 2022. Fantastic place. Well, well worth it. I've been to Colombia a couple of times, another fantastic country, completely underrated, especially Medellin. So, so cool there. And then, I don't know, number three, where else is cool? I'm just trying to think of places that I went to recently. I was in Jamaica last week. I go to Dominican Republic next week. Where else? I don't know, man. I don't know. Anywhere. All of them. They're all good. They're all, they're all rad. They're all fantastic. <laughs> okay. What about three countries that we've not traveled to that's on your hit list? Okay. So we said before Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, and what would be a third one that I'm super stoked about? 
I don't know. I still haven't been to uh, Myanmar. I thought that would be pretty cool. I'd like to go to Rangoon and stuff. So I've been to almost every country in South. I think that's the last country in Southeast Asia I still have uh, to go to. I think so, mine's, mine's Philippines. I haven't been there. We went uh, to Myanmar. Philippines is fun. Myanmar is super cool. That is a yeah. great place. I couldn't believe how cheap it was either. That's insane. Oh, I bet. I yeah. bet. Okay. And you've lived in a lot of countries, but maybe name a new country that you would live in for a year. We're buying a house or we're buying an apartment in Turkey right now. So we're going to have Istanbul. I mean, I've been to Turkey five times, six times, something like that. And I love Turkey so much and traveled around the country. But Istanbul is like one of the greatest cities in the world. And we're buying another apartment there. And then we'll just use that as a hopping off place. So I do what I affectionately call the hub and spoke model. So I pick a place, I have a base there, and then I travel out from that region. So as I live in Panama, we're going to every Caribbean country right now and the couple of South American countries that I haven't been to. And when I lived in Australia and New Zealand, I traveled to like so many countries in the South Pacific. And when I lived in Singapore, I hit all the countries in Southeast Asia, well, except Myanmar. And when I was in the the Middle East, I went to all of the GCC countries and the North African countries and a lot of the European countries that were close by. So there's still places like the stand countries that I'm missing from my list. So we'll use Turkey as a base. And then Turkish Airlines flies so many places. Does, yeah, it's insane, yeah. A great opportunity to go over there. Got it. Okay. What about a country that's giving you the best coffee, if you drink coffee? Australia. Australia had fantastic coffee. The lattes in Melbourne and sitting on the road in the cafes. Dream. (laughs) So good. Okay. And top three favorite cuisines that you've tasted on your travels? I'm pretty cliche on this. I love Japanese. I love Thai. And I love Indian. I also really like the cuisines like Uruguay, Argentina, South Brazil, you know, like that Churrasco barbecue. <laughs> that's, that stuff's pretty rad too. Love that. And what about a landmark that you've seen that's been amazing? Could be nature or man-made? Mm, I whitewater rafted down the Zambezi River through Zimbabwe and <laughs> nice. Zambia. Yeah. That was amazing. That okay. was super, super cool. Never had the answer before. That's great. A country that's the best value for money. Best value for money. Ooh. I think Brazil again. I mean, you can just have such a spectacular life there for pennies on the dollar. Like the Hiai is just, it's in the doldrums right now. And a US dollar just goes so far. And yeah, you can get a lot there. I think that's cool. I, I, like I said before, I'm a big Brazil fan. I really like it there mm. a lot. Yeah, I can't wait to go back. Okay. And maybe a best walk or hike that you've done on your travels. Okay. Good question. I've done a lot of hiking. I did the overland trek in Tasmania back in 2006 or 2007. It was like 120 kilometers up and down mountains and took five days or six days or something like that. That was fantastic. I like that a lot. That's awesome. Final question. If you could pick one city in the world to maybe do, uh, have a coffee, a bit of work remotely and just watch the world go by as well, what city would you choose? Mm. I've been to Germany probably about 20 or 30 times and Munich and downtown Munich is just like, well, Bavaria in the general is spectacular, but just to kind of sit in that Marina Platz area and just have some nice food, a Sveinahatzen, like the pork knuckle and just have a, a drink out there. And, you know, especially in the springtime or when they have the parks and the parks are open and you can get a drink there and just watch people. That's, Awesome. I love 
That's brilliant. Never want to be a tax resident there, but as a tourist, it's good fun. <laughs> yeah, I think they've got quite high taxes, haven't they? So, okay, Mikhail, thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's been an absolutely awesome chat. I've learned a lot about yourself, your travel philosophies, and where you've been, your company, and just getting to know you's been great. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much, James. Cheers, dude. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.